0: Today, Christians around the world are celebrating Palm Sunday. Now if you come from a a traditional church background, you're probably familiar with that. But for those of us who maybe didn't have that traditional church upbringing, Palm Sunday might be a little bit more unfamiliar to us. Um, It it doesn't get as much publicity as as Easter or or Christmas, uh, but it's an important date on the Christian calendar nonetheless. Uh, So this morning, I want to take some time just to explain what Palm Sunday is all about. You know, what happened on that first Palm Sunday, and and why are those events so significant, and and why is it important even today that we remember and celebrate that? Uh, You know, as we we all sit at home uh, slowing the spread of the coronavirus, you know, what can we take away from Palm Sunday that gives us hope, that spurs us on uh, to love one another, that builds our faith in God? Well, that's what I hope to share with you this morning. Um, you'll remember last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, uh, which says, three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We were encouraged last week to know that the coronavirus will not last forever. Uh, social distancing will not last forever. But these three things, faith, hope, and love, will last forever forever and ever and ever. Uh, in particular, we talked about faith last week. Uh, we looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and we saw how, how their absolute confidence in God, their, their, their faith in God, was just a, a tremendous example for all of us. Uh, no matter what our situation, whether we're facing a, a fiery furnace, or an angry king, or, or COVID-19, we can put our faith in the word and in the character of God. And our faith in God will last forever. You know, God will never break our trust. Even into eternity, we can have absolute confidence in the faithfulness of our God. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, everything else and everyone else in the world at some point will fall short. They will disappoint. They will fail. But the, the word and the character of God will last forever. It's something that we can put our faith in for all time. Now today, as we examine the, the story of Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to look at the second of those three words in that verse, but we're not going to go in order. Uh, the, the verse lists faith hope, and love as the three things that will go on forever. And certainly we could talk extensively about hope uh, as we look at Palm Sunday. But we're actually going to save that one next week uh, for Resurrection Sunday. You know, uh, Jesus' resurrection from the dead really is the foundation of our hope. And so we're going to talk about that next week. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about love because that's very much a a key part of Palm Sunday. But of course, before we get into that, uh, let's pause here and pray and just ask God to teach us from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much again that we can gather uh, virtually, uh, looking into all our computer screens or phones or TVs, and uh, listen together as we look at your word. God, I pray that you would speak through through me, uh, make your word uh, be alive. Uh, we know that it is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, so we pray that your word would speak into our hearts, uh, that would spur us on, uh, change us, make us more like your son. And, uh Give us whatever it is that we need to make it through this next week. Uh, So thanks again for your inspired word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Palm Sunday is actually one of the few events that is recorded in all four Gospels. Um, You know, we find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which I think speaks to how significant it really is. Uh, I mean, Jesus' birth is only recorded in two of the Gospels, and so if all four Gospel writers include details of this event, it's got to be significant. And I'm gonna start by reading from Matthew's account first, um, and then I'll probably reference a few of the other writers as well, as there's a few different details that each writer includes that isn't necessarily included in the other ones. Um, and just a quick note before I begin, uh, this story is often called uh, the, the Triumphant Entry. Uh, this is a, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, very publicly uh, on the, the week before. He is uh, betrayed and crucified and then uh, rose, rises from the, the dead. Um, all the, the crowds in Jerusalem have gathered to celebrate the Passover. And so Jerusalem has has ballooned in uh, population. Um, And this is the event that kicks off the Passion Week, which is, of course, Jesus' final week on earth. So I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It goes like this. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest heaven! The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, there seems to be a few details in this story that I think we should probably make note of. First of all, Matthew seems to place a great deal of emphasis on the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why is that detail so important? Well, as Matthew points out here, Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfilled a key prophecy about the promised Messiah. In Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9, we read this. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, when you first read that, you might think it's strange that a king would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, Today, I think donkeys are, are often seen as as almost comical animals, right? Uh, we've probably seen them in too many movies where they're, they're stubborn and loud, you know, hee-hawing all over the place and, and placing a, a well-placed kick to anyone who might w- have foolishly happened to walk behind them. Uh, I know my, my view of donkeys have, have forever been tainted by Don Knotts and his donkey, Clarice, uh, in uh, Disney's film, uh, The Apple Dumpling Gang. Uh, if you haven't seen that one, maybe that's a, a good show for you to watch with the kids this afternoon. Uh, but we certainly wouldn't picture a donkey as uh, some dignified animal to be used by a king. We'd more likely imagine you know, a, a noble horse, right? The, the king on his noble steed riding into the city. Uh, and it's true that the Bible or in Bible times, kings would often ride into a city on a horse. But usually that was after the king had conquered that city. Uh, a victorious king might enter a city on his war horse, uh, you know, a horse that's symbolic of his, his power and his might. But when the king would enter a city in peace, he would ride in on a donkey. You know, no one's going to war on a donkey, much less the colt of a donkey. And so riding into town on a donkey was a clear symbol of peace. And so I think that's why it's important to note that Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem on a horse, right? He he didn't come to be at war with Jerusalem. Uh, He wasn't coming to overthrow the Romans. He wasn't coming to lead a rebellion against the political establishment. He was coming in peace. He was coming to bring peace. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But the other detail in this story that I want to point out is how clearly Jesus is seen as a king. Already we've noted that Matthew quotes from Zechariah 9.9 saying, Look, your king is coming to you. But of course, that was written in retrospect, uh, well after the fact. At that time of these events, you know, neither Matthew nor any of the disciples really, you know, connected the dots on that one. They had not made that connection in their minds. In fact, in John's account of Palm Sunday, he actually adds this note in John twelve sixteen or John, yeah, John 12, 16. He says, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. So they hadn't made that connection in their minds yet, but the crowds in Jerusalem certainly welcomed Jesus as a king. Uh, In Matthew 21, verse eight, it says, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and there were, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting, praise God, For the Son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. And there's two things in here that show us that the crowds in Jerusalem consider Jesus to be coming in as a king. Uh, First of all, they spread their garments and, and tree branches on the path before Jesus. And this, of course, is where the name Palm Sunday comes from. It's from the, the palm branches that they, they cut and laid before Jesus. Actually, in John's Gospel, he, they, uh, he includes that detail, that they were palm branches, which of course would be the, the common trees of that time. But this act of spreading garments and, and palm branches before Jesus, uh, it would be akin to uh, rolling out the red carpet, really, you know, giving Jesus the royal treatment. We see something similar when Jehu was crowned king of Israel back uh, many years before this. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, it says, Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king! You know, it was a sign of honor and respect and even celebration at the coming of the king. And if that wasn't clear enough, look at what the people were shouting. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. You know, King David was widely regarded as the greatest king of Israel. And many of the prophecies in the Old Testament uh, made it clear that the Messiah, the the, the coming savior of Israel, would be a descendant of King David. Uh, That descendant would be king who would would rescue Israel and would rule forever. Uh, Jeremiah 23, verse five and six says, "'For the time is coming,' says the Lord." When I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, he will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name the Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. The, the crowds in Jerusalem believed, and, and rightly so that Jesus was that righteous descendant of King David. Uh, Jesus would be that king who would rule with wisdom. Uh, He would do what is just and right. He would save Israel, and Israel would once again live in safety. He was the one that they had been waiting for 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 centuries, really. You know, and I think we get a sense of their excitement, you know, as they waved the palm branches, almost like flags, laying some of them down with their cloaks before Jesus, uh, shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. You know, these folks were convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the long-awaited King of Israel. And they were absolutely right. But they were also absolutely wrong. While Jesus was certainly the the long-awaited King of Israel, he was not the kind of King of Israel that they were expecting. He was not the kind of King that they were hoping for. You see, in their mind, the Messiah would be a political or a a national savior. He would save them from their enemies, particularly the the Romans at this time. They'd been under the Roman rule for uh, probably over 70 years by this point. In fact, they'd been under foreign rule for probably over 500 years at this point. And I don't know if we can understand what it would be like to be under the rule of foreign governments for over 500 years and then to be there to witness the the long-awaited, the promised Savior, the Messiah, riding into Jerusalem. No wonder these guys were celebrating, but unfortunately, they were celebrating kind of for the wrong reasons. You know, while Jesus was indeed the the long-awaited Savior, he hadn't come to save them from the Romans. He hadn't come to bring them national peace and, and security within their borders, he had come to bring them something much more important, something that they needed much more than just freedom from Rome. Jesus had come to save them from eternal condemnation. He had came to save them from their sin. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God, amen. Jesus Christ, the eternal king, came into the world to save sinners. He came to save you and I from an eternity of being separated from from him and all of his goodness. He came to save us from death. He came to save us from fear. He came to save us from the sin that makes our lives so miserable. He came to give us true, abundant, eternal life. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come merely to to save the Israelites from the Romans. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come merely to to bring peace to a little country in the Middle East. I mean, that would have been great, but God had such bigger plans. God had plans to bring salvation to every single person in the world throughout time who would ever believe in him. You know, Jesus didn't come simply to, to meet the temporal needs and wants of those Israelites back then. He came to meet the deepest needs and the deepest desires of every person on the planet. And that's still what Jesus is doing today. You know, while Jesus certainly is concerned about our everyday real-life needs, his greatest concern and his greatest desire is to meet our deepest need. Jesus wants to save us, not merely from the Romans and and not merely from the coronavirus and not merely from economic disaster, but he wants to save us from the devastating disease of sin. Jesus wants us to have a right relationship with him. He wants us to be together with him for eternity. I mean, that's why we were created, to be with our creator, enjoying him and all of his goodness forever. You know, God loves us too much to give us lesser things. I mean, what good is being saved from the Romans if you're still an enemy of God? What good is is peace with neighboring countries if you're not at peace with God? What good is is health and wealth in this life if we have no hope for eternity? God loves us too much to give us lesser things. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. You now, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, left his throne in heaven to come to the earth, to be born as a man, and to go to the cross, taking the punishment for our sin so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. You know, That's why Jesus came to earth. That's, that's why he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, to bring us peace with God by going to the cross. He did it so that we could have eternal life with him. You know, as we look forward to Easter Sunday in in just one week from today, we can't overlook the fact that before we get to Sunday, we have to go through Good Friday. And it seems kind of odd for us to call Good Friday, you know, the day that Jesus died a terrible death, good. But it was good. It was incredibly good for all of us. Good Friday is the day that God demonstrates his love for us in a most incredible way. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man, than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ, the king of kings, laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you and for me. You know, five days after Jesus rode into Jerusalem with crowds shouting Hosanna and praising God for for finally sending them a savior, you know, those same crowds after realizing that Jesus was not the kind of king that they were hoping for, they, they turned on Jesus. And their shouts of Hosanna turned into shouts of crucify him, crucify him. But you know, Jesus knew this all along. Even as he made his way into Jerusalem on that donkey, he knew that he was heading to the cross and he did so willingly because he knew he was on his way to save you and I. Greater love hath no man than this. This morning, I want you to know that no matter who you are or or, or what you've done or, or what Uh, difficult circumstances you might find yourself in, that there is a God in heaven. In fact, a king in heaven, the king of kings in heaven, who loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. His death and his resurrection has made it possible for you and I to have eternal life, to have abundant joy, and to have a peace that passes all understanding. And all he asks of you this morning is to believe and accept it. You know, and I know that with our service being online, you know, I'm not here to to speak to you in person, but I would sure encourage you that that if you wanna know more about this God in heaven who loves you more than you can imagine, I'd encourage you, you know, to connect with me somehow over this next week. Send me a text, uh, give me a phone call, send me an email. I would love to help you get to know this God. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Dear God, we thank you so much this morning As we look to the Easter season, we thank you so much that you, the the King of kings, the creator of all, you came to the earth out of love. You became a man. You you rode into Jerusalem on that donkey to bring us peace, to make us uh, right with God. You came to bring us forgiveness. You came to bring us joy. You came to give us peace. And God, those are things that we just don't experience in this life. We don't know what it's like to have eternal life. We don't know what it's like to be filled with never-ending joy. We don't know what it's like to have a peace that passes all understanding. Nothing like that is is in this world. But through you, we can have all those things. God, I pray if if there is someone who's watching this today, that you speak to their hearts and they want to know who this God is. They want to know more about how to have a relationship with this God. God, I pray that you would continue to, to speak to their hearts, uh, cross their paths with another Christian, give them the courage to call me up or, or send me a text or whatever it is, God, so that they can choose to put their faith in you. God, thank you so much for Good Friday. What you did for us on the cross is, is just amazing. Uh, amazing love. Uh, as the song says, amazing love, uh, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? God, we thank you that you are our king. We thank you that you did indeed die, die for us so that we can have life with you. May we all live in and accept that truth this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.